Well, we're going to talk about the gospel today. What else is new? The gospel is what we preach. We love the gospel. We're all about the gospel. Um, What is real love? We're going to talk about what is real love today. And I want to point you to this bracelet that I'm wearing here. This cool, sweet, multicolored rubber bracelet. This is real love. Now, I'm not talking about the bracelet itself. And I want to thank Maggie and Nick Lease for making me this cool bracelet. Thank you. (laughs) It's the colors. I want to talk about the colors. The colors of uh, gold and black and red and white and green. Uh, This is not like a a Jamaican pride bracelet. This is a a gospel bracelet. And these are the colors of the gospel that we can use uh, in order to better articulate the gospel to people. We bring something similar down to Brazil Uh, every year to help us share the gospel more clearly. And the gospel is this. The the gold represents God's kingdom and his righteousness and his perfection and his holiness, right? But we're separated from God because of what? Because of sin. That's what the black is. We are marred and we are stained by sin and we're separated from God because of sin. We are unrighteous because of sin, But then comes the red. The red represents the blood of Christ. God did something about it. He didn't leave us in our state because he loves us. He sent us his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And his blood cleanses us and makes us righteous in God's eyes. And that's what the white, the color white is for. It means we're cleansed and we're made righteous in God's eyes. And then the green, the green just means we're going to grow. We're going to grow in Christ throughout our lives, God willing. We grow in Christ, and we grow and become more and more like Christ. That's the gospel. Man, usually we save the gospel for the end of the sermon, right? We're just getting it right off of the bat, right in the front. That's the gospel. And we want to respond to the gospel. The gospel is its faithful love. And the gospel is love uh, in action, And the gospel is, it's love that costs something. And we're going to learn about that today, those things. Before we start, though, I want to point you to a verse uh, in the book of Malachi. Uh, The book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 2. You can see most of it. (laughs) Technology. We went through the book of Malachi in our small group on Wednesday nights. And uh, the book of Malachi is an incredible book. It's God's last word to the Israelites before the 400 years of silence, and then comes Jesus Christ. So the book of Malachi really is a really good book, knowing the context of that. And look what God says in the very beginning. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? So God says, I have loved you. And the Israelites say, how have you loved us? There's something wrong here. (laughs) Right? The Israelites have the audacity to ask God, how have you loved us? If I were God, I'd be like, are you serious? Do you not remember anything throughout Old Testament Scripture, what I have done for you to show my love for you? But let's be honest. I think we've all had the audacity to ask that question at some point in our lives. 
God, how have you loved me? If not on our actual lips, then in our hearts privately. Right, you see, that question, how have you loved us, God, that actually reveals the Israelites' hearts. And it reveals our hearts, too. What's that say? It says, we don't understand love. God says, I have loved you. He's right. God has a a pure, perfect, right, and true view of what love is. We don't. For them to say and us to say, God, how have you loved us? That just shows we don't understand what love is. We don't understand how God sees love. You know, nothing has changed really today. I mean, look at the landscape of our culture and our views, differing views on what love is and what that word stands for. I mean, there's so many examples out there. You know, we've always been just steeped in self-interest right? Self-interest. And we see love in terms of what we can gain from others, right? We view love as merely an emotion that we feel, right? And when it goes away, we get out. I've fallen out of love with you is common, right? You know, love to us is not so much a, an action or a choice or a commitment witnessed by God, You know, we've resorted to viewing love as just this, like, weird uh, Disney movie romance thing, right? Or this this really awkward thing that we see on TV in The Bachelor. That's, like, what love has become to us. I'm sure some of you watch The Bachelor. Let's, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Nowadays, if we don't agree with somebody, right, if we don't agree with someone... They think we hate them. They don't think think that we love them just because we don't agree with them. And we love only as long as the other is meeting our needs. And when they stop meeting our needs, what do we do? We jump ship and we go find somebody else that does meet our needs, right? And that can happen a lot in some people's lives. I think we've seen that in Elizabeth Taylor. Remember her? Married eight times, searching and searching and searching. Divorce, 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 divorce. That's not love. Guys, isn't that what the Israelites were guilty of throughout the Old Testament history? When it seemed like God wasn't meeting their needs, what did they do? They jump ship. They go and worship other gods. Right? But despite the Israelites' disobedience towards God, their story as God's people was filled with their love, (laughs) his faithfulness, filled with his love and his faithfulness. God told the Israelites through Malachi, I have loved you. And we see their response. Today, we're going to look into a magnifying glass and see in the book of Ruth just how God has loved them. And we're going to see just how God loves us. And we're going to be challenged by the love that we pour out to others in our relationships, in our life. Remember what Hesed love is. This is our working definition of Hesed love in this sermon series. We're going to say those words, Hesed love, a lot. And by the end of the sermon series, you might be sick of it. But we want you to know Hesed love because it's biblical. Hesed love is steadfast, rock-solid faithfulness. 
that endures to eternity. Steadfast, rock-solid faithfulness that endures to eternity. Last week, Keith introduced us to the suffering part. He introduced us to the suffering part. Author Paul Miller wrote, Suffering doesn't create love, but it is a hothouse where love can emerge. So today, we're going to see God's Hesed love emerge from him, and we're going to see his Hesed love emerge in and through Ruth, and we're going to see how Hesed love can emerge through us in our relationships and how we pour out to others. And we're going to learn three things about Hesed love, three things about Hesed love. And it's all going to lead to where else? God's ultimate act of Hesed love of Christ on the cross. So let's open up the scriptures. Chapter 1, starting in verse 6. We're going to do verses 6 through 18 today. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. And the scripture says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So it's been 10 years since they've been to Moab. They left the promised land, and they've been in, the promise, they've been in Moab for 10 years. And here we are. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. That's a powerful statement. That stuck out to me when I was reading this and preparing for this. I want you to track on that statement. Remember the time period that we're in. We're in the time period of Judges. And if you read the book of Judges, if you haven't, I encourage you to read it. Because it's a perfect book that really shows us what we're experiencing today. The book of Judges is characterized by this downward spiral by the Israelites. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Characterized by disobedience. And then they come to repentance. They experience God's grace. And then they get comfortable. And then they're disobedient. And then they repent and experience God's grace. Get comfortable. Disobedient. You get the point. And they keep spiraling downward and downward and downward in this cycle. And it gets worse and worse and worse. So that's where we're in right now. We're in the period of judges. So when famine struck Jerusalem, and it seemed like God wasn't meeting their needs, what does Naomi and her family do? They jump ship. They leave the promised land and search for food. The promised land was God's will for the Israelites. They could be confident that in the promised land, God would provide for them no matter what. They just needed to be faithful. But they jumped ship. And what they learn is, like Keith taught us last week, the grass isn't any greener. Naomi's husband dies, her sons die, and she's left with these two Moabite daughters-in-law. Naomi is hopeless, but then she hears something down the grapevine. Down the grapevine, she hears something. The Lord has visited his people, and he has given them food. Guys, that's our first point. God is faithful. God is faithful. 
That's why that statement is so powerful. He has come through again. He's come through again for the Israelites. He is always faithful. God's seismic faithfulness is being felt from Jerusalem in Moab by Naomi, and it's moving her needle, and she's returning back to the promised land. It's drawing her back like a magnet. That's God's faithfulness. It moves us to continue to pursue him or to return to him. Despite jumping ships, she could still go back to the promised land and return to God. And she makes that choice. God bless her. She makes that choice. Nomi's own personal return to the promised land is actually an act of humiliating repentance. I'm not where I should be. I need to go back to where I should be. To her relationship with God in the promised lands. The Lord has surely visited us in Jesus Christ. And he has given us food. Jesus has given us the spiritual food that endures to eternal life. No matter our disobedience towards God, through Christ, we can always return to God. Always. Always we can return to God. Through Christ. Jesus is the road to God's unending faithfulness. God is faithful. He's like the Energizer Bunny. That's what I thought of. Remember that? It keeps going and going and going and going and going. He is always faithful. (laughs) That's what I think of when I prepare sermons. Stuff just pops in my head. I'm just sharing it. That's all. Guys, where has God been faithful in your life? Where has he been faithful in your life? Survey your lives. Where has he been faithful in my life? And I should say my wife and I's life. We moved up here in early 2011. We used to live in Georgia. And I used to be a PGA golf professional. And I was idolizing my career. I was a baby Christian. I was trying to pursue Jesus, but I was still pursuing this idol I had in my career and what I did. And a job just started dangling in front of me. This awesome job up here in Philadelphia. And I bit. I bid on it. I moved my southern wife out of her home in St. Simons Island, Georgia, move up here to Philadelphia, (laughs) of all places. And for the first month, I was up here on my own. Stephanie stayed back to prepare some things for her to come up here eventually. I just didn't feel good. I was like, what have I done? We we shouldn't be here. (laughs) But the wheels were turning. But I kept thinking we shouldn't be here. But I kept pursuing Jesus. God, I don't know what's happening, but I want to pursue you. So God eventually just started giving us glimpses of hope. Because in the beginning, we couldn't find a solid church. Lots of solid churches down south. You know, it's not like the south up here. We couldn't find a church up here, so just desperate. We just felt like it couldn't work up here if we couldn't find a solid church. And lo and behold, and where I was working, which was a very secular place, I met this random guy. I believe it's a divine appointment. And we just randomly started talking about churches. He's like, you should check out my church. It's called Riverside Community Church. And we meet in a movie theater. (laughs) I was like, all right, got nothing to lose. Let's go. So Stephanie visited. She liked it. Eventually I visited. I was like, I like this. This is awesome. 
God was showing us hope. So kept pursuing aggressively Jesus as he shows us hope. Guys, I didn't get it right in coming up here. I want to make that really clear. Just because things have seemed to work out, I didn't get it right. I got it wrong. I made the wrong decision. But God got it right. Because God is faithful. He knew I was going to bite on that job. He had this all planned out. I got it wrong. God got it right. God is faithful. Hesed love begins with God, and we can't truly begin to know it, express it, live it out in our own lives, and pour into others without knowing love himself, real love himself, God. Moving along in the scripture. But Nomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Nomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Ruth clung to her. There's a lot of emotion going on in this scripture. I probably didn't do it any justice in my monotone voice. What we're seeing here is Nomi is saying, I've got nothing for you. I am hopeless. My husband is dead. My sons are dead. I've got no hope. You see, back then, a widow that had no sons even almost had no shot at a life. God had put provisions into his law to help widows. But once the sons die, there's no inheritance and there's nobody to take care of the widow. Nomi is hopeless. But now we're seeing it's the moment of truth. They've done a lot of talking. The rubber is meeting the road now. The rubber is meeting the road. Where emotions can turn into action or they can turn into nothing. It's decision time. Guys, you you know that saying? If you can't walk the talk, right? Then what? Somebody say it. Somebody has to know it. Then don't. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Waltz. If you can't walk the talk, then don't talk the talk. That's what we're seeing here right now. Orpah. Orpah stays in Moab. Orpah is faithful to a point, right? She's faithful to a point. She's not walking her talk, right? She has good intentions. She said earlier in the scripture, I'll go. 
But when the time came, she stays in Moab. She's not walking the talk. Good intentions mean nothing. Right? We have good intentions. And we think they mean something. They mean nothing. If you're not acting on those intentions. And that's what we're seeing here in Orpah. Guys, our second point today is Hesed love is action. Hesed love is faithful. Hesed love is action. God loves when we get real, but he loves it even more when we get really active with our love. Really active with it. Ruth is walking the talk. She's loving actively. She isn't just feeling love or talking about it. Right? She's actually doing it. Right? She's, she's doing love. She's putting it to her hands and her feet, and she is living it out. She's making a decision. Guys, the scripture, this scripture is all about love. It's all about love. The whole book of Ruth is about love. But never once in this book do you hear anybody say, I love you. <laughs> right? Now, guys, I don't, I don't want to say, like, don't say I love you to your spouse, you know, or to a family member. I'm not saying that. Don't let your love be marked by your words. Let it be marked by your actions. Right? We're seeing a lot of action in Ruth, aren't we? A lot of action. Nobody's saying I love you. We're seeing emotion, but we're seeing doing. We're doing love in Ruth. Now, Nomi, she had nothing to offer Ruth, as we have seen. Yet Ruth commits herself wholeheartedly to Nomi. She's putting her words to action, right? Guys, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing. Think about who God is. What do we have to offer God? We have nothing to offer him, and yet he wholeheartedly commits himself to us in relationship. God did a lot of talking all throughout Old Testament Scripture, right? If, as you survey through Old Testament Scripture, he's always saying, you know, he's going to send this Redeemer. He's going to send this person, right? And then it never happens, right? Israelites are waiting and waiting and waiting. We're waiting. Where is he? You know, be patient. He's coming. He's coming. Don't worry, he's coming. And then finally, Jesus comes. All that talking was put to action on the cross. On the cross was God's action. Paul Miller, author Paul Miller wrote, and this was huge for me when I read this, Ruth's love. Ruth's love is God's response to Naomi's lament. I was like, wow, that's powerful. The love of Christ is God's response to our lament, our brokenness, our pain, our struggling, our suffering, right? And guys, I want you to think about something. Jesus, in his ministry here on earth, he never actually said the words, I love you. I love you. And there's even a faction of people that believe, and they actually say, Jesus doesn't love you because he never said it right? But we know in the scriptures 
what is it about Jesus' love that we know that he loves us? It's his action. Jesus did love. He did love, and he did love on the cross, ultimately and finally. His ministry was marked by what he did, not by the words, I love you. I want to ask you, who is in need of love? Who is in need of action in your life? Maybe you need it. Is it, is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is there a coworker? Maybe it's an enemy. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a bully in school where they need love and they need it in action. Not just, I love you, I love you, I love you. No, they need love done in their lives. Where has this happened in my life? I go back to my previous career as a PGA golf pro, and in 2009, I was in this like dream job that I had. I had gotten the job in 2007, so I was there for a few years, and in 2009, my dream job um, again, it goes back to this period of time where I was idolizing my career, and I get laid off. I get laid off from my dream job in February of 2009. And my girlfriend of about seven or eight months, who is now my wife, Stephanie, she actually drives three and a half hours from Charleston, South Carolina, to just be with me. Now, back then, I would have said, oh, I'm cool, I'm good. I wasn't, like, let's be honest. I was, like, depressed. I was laying in bed, like, for hours and hours during the day. And she comes down three and a half hours from Charleston, out of her way, just to stay one night, and then she goes back to Charleston, three and a half hour drive at, like, three or four in the morning to get back to work in time by seven o'clock. Now, at the time, I don't know, like, I don't know if you loved me. I think you did. (laughs) Right? You loved me, right? at the time. Guys, that's love in action. That's love in action. That's sacrifice. You know what? I'm not just going to talk to Brian on the phone and be like, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm actually going to go down there <laughs> to where he is. And I'm just going to like sit there with him and do love. I'm going to be there with him. That's love in action. She was walking her talk. Guys, Stephanie's action and God working in her could have been God's response to my lament, my struggling, and my suffering. I don't know. I'll find out one day. But I believe it was God working. Continuing along, verse 15. And she said, Know me. See, your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Nomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She's speechless. Does this make you speechless? Guys, what we're seeing here is that loving and committing to Nomi is costing her something. It's costing Ruth something. And we see it in these statements, what it's costing. Going to Jerusalem means she's giving up her home and her homeland, right? Surrounding herself with Nomi's people means she's giving up her people and her relationships in Moab. Pursuing the God of Israel, the true God, means she's giving up her fake gods in Moab. She's entering and immersing herself into Nomi's suffering, which means it's costing her her comfort. It's costing her comfort. And where you die, I will die. She's going the distance. She's going the distance. And she's not coming back. Author Paul Miller wrote, Hesed love is one-way love. It's love that has no exit strategy. Ruth has essentially just purchased a one-way ticket into Nomi's suffering, and she's not coming back. She's not going to leave her. You see, Ruth was forsaking everything she knew. She was not playing it safe. She wasn't playing it safe. Jesus didn't play it safe. Jesus forsook everything that he knew. He forsook his place in heaven to come down here on earth into our suffering and our nastiness, our ugliness, our non-committedness. Is that a word? Non-committedness? Uncommitment? Whatever. (laughs) And it cost him something. It cost him his life. Hesed love costs us something. That's our third point today. Hesed love costs us something. Jesus' sacrifice was God's response to your need, your brokenness, your suffering, your lament, your struggle. Your sacrifice may be God's response. Whatever it is that's costing you to love somebody, that might be God's response to that person's struggle. Guys, I want you to scan your relationships. Take a survey of your life. Who needs this kind of love? Who needs this kind of love? What is your love for someone costing you? Or do you love them only up to a certain point? Guys, I'll be honest with you. My love for my wife cost me absolutely nothing on Thursday night. We got sushi for takeout. And I have this problem with sharing dinner. I just have this thing, like, you know, you get takeout, you want something, you order it, that's yours. I like what I like, I order it, it's mine, that's what I eat. You eat yours, I eat mine. (laughs) There's no sharing. I like what I like. I had 18 pieces of sushi and she wanted just one piece. 
and I wouldn't give it to her. <laughs> I wouldn't give it to her. <laughs> Guys, this, that might seem like really stupid and funny and like not a really great example. I think it's a great example. I was convicted by it after. Stephanie's like, so you would actually die for me, but you won't give me a piece of sushi. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Guys, I struggle with selfishness. It's not just, it's not about the sushi. Guys, that's just like a, a manifestation of what's going on in my heart. Why can't I just give my wife a piece of sushi? Because I wanted it. I'm selfish. I have this self-interest, and it's not right. I was convicted by it, and I'm glad she called me out. I am. It's something I continue to work on. And God willing, I will one day come to a point where I can share a piece of sushi. Guys, scan your relationships. See what's going on. What's God doing? Who's he putting in your life? You know, who's he going to put in your life? Or maybe somebody's already in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. I want to conclude on this. In these powerful final statements from Ruth, what we're really seeing is we're seeing pledges. We're seeing pledges. A covenant is forming. Ruth is covenanting with Nomi. She's covenanting covenanting with Nomi. She's showing that she has faith in the God of Israel and she is binding herself, binding herself to Nomi and her God, the God of Israel. Ruth is expressing God's hesed love in her that's through her faith, and it is covenantal love. Covenantal love. That is the love that God has for us. It's covenantal love. He does not break his covenant. My wife works at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, and she just shared with me this heartbreaking story this week that just stuck with me. A baby was born, and the baby was brought to the neonatal ICU. And the mother never came for her baby. Never came for her baby. This baby is not even born for 12 hours. And she's already walked out on. God doesn't do that. We do that. God does not do that. Listen to these words from God through Scripture. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord who brought you up from Egypt to be your God. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. What's Jesus say? He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age. God is going the distance. He's with us to the end. We can always return to him through Christ. 
This is an eternal covenant that when we enter into it by faith, God does not break the covenant. We do. But he does not break it. He is our God, and we are his people. God's hesed love and his covenant commitment to his people reached its climax in a single person, Jesus Christ. This bracelet here, the gospel, the love of Christ, it's not, it's not warm and fuzzy, movie kind of like love. Guys, the gospel is hard, real, down and dirty. It can be ugly sometimes, but it's committed love. Committed love to the end. And it's unshakably faithful. Unshakably faithful, and it's characterized by action. And it's love that costs something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for scripture, God, that we can, we can just search and navigate and just wrestle through uh, your word, God, and just learn truths about you and about your character and about your love, Lord. God, you're creating and building a story uh, in each one of our lives, Lord. And there may be people in this sanctuary right now, God, because they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they are not a part of your story. God, I pray that they, they hear this gospel the one and only true gospel, Lord, and they receive it, God, and they take it and they grab it and hold on to it and they live it. God, they take your love and they pour it out into others, God. I pray this in the name of, the deep name of Jesus. Amen. So what a great time to do the Lord's Supper today. The Lord's Supper... It wasn't a going-away party. I'll say that. I used to think that when I was a baby Christian. I thought Jesus was trying to get his boys together and just be like, let's just do it up. I'm dying tomorrow. That's not what it was. Guys, the Lord's Supper was an inauguration ceremony. An inauguration ceremony of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ of God's new covenant love for us. Less than a day away from being crucified, Jesus was sealing that covenant. But listen to this scripture from prophet Jeremiah. Behold, this is back in the Old Testament day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And Paul wrote, New Testament and 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians letter. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Guys, the Lord's Supper is a way for those who have received faith, by faith, Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to remember what he has done in your life. And remember what he has done in your past. Take some time to reflect on the cross and what God has done for you. Reflect on that. Reflect on his covenant love for you. Confess any unconfessed sins in your life before you take the bread and the wine. And when you're ready, proceed to the server. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and return to your seat as the band plays a song. Servers, if you can come forward.